Hey everyone, happy September. Welcome back to the Practicology Podcast, where we are communicating that the Bible belongs not only next to the pile of Bible commentaries, but also by the stack of dirty dishes and also by the stack of textbooks. Our title today is This School Year, Love God with All Your Mind. All right, so Matthew, I'm not sure if you can even remember what it was like to go back to school, but uh, if you can, were you filled with fear as you went back to school, or were you one of those nerdy types that got really excited about going back to the first day of school? I think there were mixed feelings. I don't think I was scared about it. Uh, I'm not sure I was overly excited about getting back into textbooks either. I wasn't an all-star student. I had I had some moments, some moments, some some highs and lows. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's pretty typical, I think. Uh, we do know that lots of you listeners here in Canada are going back to school this week. You're going to school or college or university. And, and we know that for some that can be tough. And so here's an episode devoted especially to you. And we do pray that it will encourage Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And if you are new to the podcast, please know that this isn't our first back to school episode. In episode 32, we had one called Back to School with Attitude, I'm Too Special to Sin. And then in episode 85, we had another one called The Alien Landing at Your School. So feel free to check those out, episode 32 and 85 as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we don't want to leave out our American friends either. We know that school starts back up a little bit earlier for you guys than it does for us in Canada. I guess you guys need that little extra time to memorize all those states and capitals and presidents. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today, about loving God with our mind, about loving God while we're memorizing all those states and capitals and so on. We're going to spend most of our time thinking about how we can love God with our minds at school. But before we get to that, I want to introduce my first point, and it's this. Jesus Christ gives the highest importance imaginable to the role of our minds. Jesus Christ gives the highest importance imaginable to the role of our minds. And Matthew, I think that statement might surprise some people. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Mike. I think non-Christians assume that because Christians talk so much about faith and that we are people of faith, they they think that Christians must not have much of a place for the role of thinking. They would accuse Christians of being anti-intellectual. And even inside Christianity, sometimes there can be unhealthy emphases that encourage Christians to think that the mind is very suspect and we shouldn't encourage too much learning. But your statement is right. It's valid. Jesus Christ, you said, gives the highest importance imaginable to the role of our minds. And I'm thinking of our Lord's last week on earth, just before his death on the cross, he was in the temple teaching when a scribe came up to him and asked him which commandment was the most important of all. And Jesus famously answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, Mark chapter 12. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So we're talking about the most important commandment in the world, according to Jesus Christ. And of course, he's quoting the Shema here. That's Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and following. And the Shema is something that faithful Jews recited daily so that they would never forget this reality that Yahweh is the true God. He's one. He's the only one. And so the first verse emphasizes the oneness, you know, only one God. And the next verse seems to emphasize allness. Those two go together because there is one God, we are to love him with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength. 
But it's interesting that the Hebrew of Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, it doesn't mention the mind. The mind is implied because uh, the word heart includes our thinking capacity in, in the biblical usage. And there are some Greek texts that include the word mind instead of the word heart. But the fact that here in Mark 12, when Jesus states the greatest commandment in the world, he specifically mentions the word mind in addition to the term heart, it suggests that Jesus is emphasizing the role of our minds. And uh, the Greek commentator R.T. France, he says, the addition of the word mind here may suggest a deliberate extension of the familiar text to emphasize the intellectual faculty as a key element in God's service. Matthew, I felt fairly intellectual just quoting that sentence. It sounded pretty highfalutin, but uh, it's okay. We can we can back up 15 seconds and listen to it again if we wish. And I guess here are the facts, though. There is one God, therefore we are called to love him with all that we are and all that we have, including with all of our mind, with all of our thinking, with all of our learning. Yes, and, and I think this should get us fired up. Do you see how high of a place Jesus assigns to our minds? The greatest being in the universe is God, our maker. The greatest thing a human being made in this God's image can do is to love him. And we could pause on that for a little bit, you know. He's a personal God, and we were made by him so that we could enjoy a love relationship with him. And in order to do the greatest thing a human can do, love, to the greatest being a human being can do that to, God, Jesus says we are to employ our mind. Jesus Christ is commandeering our thought life in service of loving God. It would be impossible for our Lord to assign a higher place of importance to our intellectual capacities. And so I'm going to say it again. Jesus Christ gives the highest importance imaginable to the role of our minds. Okay, and the explanation is helpful because a minute ago you were saying, you know, there could be a little debate, is this heart or mind? But according to what Christ is saying... Our thinking is part of our loving. It's an expression of the devotion of our heart. So we often pit these two things against each other as if they're opposed to each other. You know, don't think too much, just just love. Maybe somebody doesn't say exactly that, but that sentiment may get expressed sometimes. But our Lord Jesus sees thinking as something vital to our loving, right? Amen, oh, yeah. And that's why Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I'm quite fond of, he talked about logic on fire. We don't need to choose between loving God and thinking. We can use our thinking, our ability to reason and read and make logical connections. We, we can use this to ignite a love for God and others in our hearts. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. For now, I just want to say uh, away with any anti-intellectualism. You know, Christianity is not opposed to the life of the mind. Faith and the intellect are friends, not foes. The founder of Christianity says, loving God is the highest calling in life, and you are to do it with all your mind. Your thought life, your intellectual life is part of your discipleship as a Christian. Yeah, and you're right, Mike, that anti-intellectualism can definitely creep into the church. It's not healthy. It's, it's maybe worthwhile to say uh, it's important not to overstate that as well. Uh, I mean, I, I suspect almost all of us have heard preachers say from time to time, uh, you don't need to check your brains at the door when you come into church. In other words, there already is a, a healthy pushback in the teaching we hear in the church against the idea that our minds are unimportant. There is a, a sense that our minds need to be engaged with God. I agree. And, and you know, maybe it's not the church that we should be 
charging with failing to value the place of the mind. Maybe it's society. Uh, about 20 years ago, I, I read a book that has had a lasting impact on my life. It was called Love Your God with All Your Mind, The Role of Reason in the Life of the Soul by uh, J.P. Moreland. <clears throat> and there's a revised edition out now. And I'll, I'll just give you this quote that I want to share from the updated version. He says, Our society has replaced heroes with celebrities, the quest for a well-informed character with the search for flat abs, substance and depth with image and personality. In the political process, the makeup man is more important than the speechwriter, and we approach the voting booth not on the basis of a well-developed philosophy of what the state should be, but with a heart full of images, emotions, and slogans, all packed into 30-second sound bites. Ouch. Well put by J.P. Moreland. Yeah, and it's kind of sad, isn't it? So we want to fight back against this trend towards lazy thinking and superficiality. And <clears throat> in this episode, I want specifically to call on students to devote yourselves to loving God with your minds this year at school. Look, Matthew, that thing you said back there was true. We don't need to check our brains at the door on the way into church. But it's also true that we don't need to check our faith at the door when we enter into school. We don't need to check our Christianity at the door when we enter the university lecture room. Our learning and studying can involve us in the highest calling given to humanity, which is to love God. Good. So we've seen the high role Jesus Christ assigns to our intellects. Uh, Mike, I know you're going to turn to give us some practical ways we can love God with our minds at school here shortly. But I just want to interject first. Sometimes when Christians hear the kind of teaching you're giving right now, they assume that the speaker is saying, all Christians should be intellectuals and should work in the knowledge economy, or that to be a faithful Christian uh, disciple, you, you have to be bookish. But I suspect you're not really saying that, are you? No, I'm not. I mean, for one thing, the idea that people working in the knowledge economy are using their minds a lot, but people in trades, for example, aren't, would be ridiculous. You can't build houses or wire buildings or fix automobiles without uh, doing a real mental workout. So no, please don't hear this call to think as part of our faith. Don't, don't hear it as a call to only do white collar jobs or anything like that. And no, I, I don't think we all need to be nerdy and bookish. Uh, some people love to learn. Other Christians find learning and studying really, really hard. And if that's you, then school is likely a pretty tough place for you to go day after day. But maybe what that means is that if you were to go to school and seek to love God with all your mind there, maybe that would be even more meaningful to God than coming from someone who just loves to learn. All right, so we're all set. Let's look at uh, four practical ways you can love God with your mind at school. Number one, use your mind to ignite love for God in your heart. Ignite love for God. This is sounding like Martin Lloyd-Jones' logic on fire. But Mike, I feel you need to just back up one more time and first explain what it means to love God just before we get further into this. Never mind loving him with our minds. What do we mean when we talk about loving God? I hope that doesn't sound too basic. Yeah, I wish we could open this up and actually hear from listeners how they would answer that question. I think one answer might be uh, loving God means choosing to obey him. And, and that's a good answer. Uh, in our series this spring, we looked at 1 John 5, 1 to 5. And verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So obeying God's word is an expression of our love for him. But I, I do believe loving God also has to be something distinguishable from just keeping commandments. It has to be something prior to that. 
because Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14, verse 15. And then a few verses later in verse 23, he says again, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So here, loving God is something that results in us obeying him. And John Piper is very helpful here in his little book called Think. He points to Luke 16, verses 13 to 14, where Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And according to this text then, loving God means to be devoted to him. It's to have the affections of our heart run out to him. It's to want him, desire him, treasure him, prize him. And so if we walk that definition back to Mark 12, to our text here in Mark 12, Jesus is saying, we are to desire God, to treasure him, to prize him with all our minds, which means we are to use our minds to serve our affection for God. Our hearts are to burn with desire and affection for God, and we can use our minds to add fuel to that mm -hmm. fire. I like that last line. And I, I just wanted to go over that because I think we have a tendency to talk about loving God a lot, but maybe don't slow down to think what it's actually going to look like. And so you're giving some scripture support there for the idea that loving God means treasuring him. You're saying that uh, that, that treasuring of God or desiring of God leads to keeping his word and obeying him. But you would say, wouldn't you, that the essence of love for God is something that is going to come even prior to obeying the commandments, right? Yeah, that's right. And in order to accomplish this project of loving God like this, we, we need to use our minds. In other words, we won't be able to treasure God and prize him and, and run after him with the affections of our heart unless we use our minds. Here's what I mean. As Christians, we use our brains to think long and hard about stuff with a view to raising our affection for God. With our minds, we gather up fuel to feed the fire of love for God in our hearts. Okay, sounds good. Just uh, stop to give us an example of that, I think. Mm -hmm. So let's say a husband finds his inner affection for his wife is drying up and he's becoming cold and abrupt to her. He's not treasuring her the way he used to. And, and he stops and he says, man, I'm, I'm not devoted to my wife the way I should be. Well, how can he go about reversing that? One of the ways he can do it is, is to stop and think about her, to use his mind. He can take time and prayer to thank the Lord for all the things he appreciates about her. He can use his mind to dig up memories of times in the past when she was there for him through a tough time. He can think intentionally about all the things that make her great. And as he uses his mind in this way, affection for her can be rekindled in his heart. So in the same way, if our affection and devotion for God, if we sense that that's waning, we can deliberately use our minds to think over who he is, how great he is, what he's, what he's like, what he's done for us, how he's been there for us. And when we do, our love for him will grow, you are saying. Uh-huh, yeah. Here's how Piper defines what it means to love God with our mind. He says it means our thinking should be wholly engaged to do all it can to awaken and express the heartfelt fullness of treasuring God above all things. So, so let's just talk about what this looks like at school or at university. You know, the main way we do this maybe is, is we use our minds to read the Bible and maybe 
learn theology, that's a very direct way, right, of learning about God. And the more we learn about him and the Son and the Spirit and salvation and, and so on, that will directly awaken um, an appreciation for him in our hearts. But what I'm saying is this happens at school too in university without the Bible open in front of us. And actually, just just a, an incident pops into my head from this past weekend. My Uncle Henry uh, and I were together and he picked a bug off my shirt and he held it in his fingers and he, he said to me, if you look at it closely, it can make you worship. And, and this is a lifelong habit my uncle has of just taking time to look at even the little bugs in creation. And if you look at that thing long enough, it'll lead you to worship. Well, that's the idea. You enter classrooms deliberately wanting to use your mind to gather intellectual fuel to throw on the fire of your inner love for God. You learn about DNA and RNA. You learn in microbiology about these amazing molecular machines. And, and you look at this stuff and, and you let it ignite wonder and affection in your heart for God. Yeah, or maybe someone else has astronomy on their docket of classes for the year, and you'll find out that the latest scientific guess is that there are two trillion galaxies. And the words of Job 22.12 will maybe flood into your mind. Isn't God as high as the heavens? And look at the highest stars, how lofty they are. Yeah, our examples so far are tilted towards science, I guess, and rightly so. Uh, over the last couple summers, our family has had the privilege of becoming friends with a sister you know well, Matthew. Her name is Jenny. And Jenny is a scientist. And this summer, she took me and some of our girls to her lab. And I just love the passion with which she showed us her work and answered my kids' questions. And the girls even got to work with some of her tools in the lab a little bit. And I get the sense that Jenny loves God with her mind. I think it was the scientist, Johann Kepler. I think he was talking about his work in astronomy. And he described the work of science as thinking God's thoughts after him. Yeah, and that lab visit awakened some deeper scientific interest in our household as well. It's a wonderful thing. And that quote that you just made, it really captures the opportunity, I'd say, we have just along with everything you've been saying on this podcast, the opportunity we have to love God with our minds. As we discover things about the world he has made, we are thinking his thoughts after him, and this can fan into flame our love for him. Yeah, and it's not just in science that this can happen. I mean, sit down in your seats for this one, but this can even happen in math, believe it or not. And in history and literature, there is endless material for our minds to explore and learn and feed into the fire of God's love in our hearts. Well, that's the first one, and I'll be much briefer here with these remaining ones. Secondly, a second way that we can love God with our minds at school this year is, is learn with a view to becoming a better Bible reader. Learn with a view to becoming a better Bible reader. And what this means is that observation skills learned in the lab can be used, can be applied to carefully observe the biblical text. You can transfer patience and observation skills that you learn in the lab. You can transfer it to your study of the Bible. You can learn to look at the text the same way. I don't know if students learn much grammar anymore at school, but I'm so thankful that when my parents switched me over into a private Christian school for my high school years, that that private school at that time was determined to teach us kids grammar. And wow, I had some massive catch up to do to catch up to the rest of the class, but I loved the teacher and I worked hard for her and, and I found it really helpful. I'm so grateful to this day for what I learned. If, if you can learn what adjectives are and adverbs, 
if you can learn to spot conjunctions and tell the difference between a clause and a phrase, if you can understand how authors convey meaning using grammar, it will be a great help to you in your Bible reading. It's true, young listeners, you have fantastic minds and you use them to learn so many things and you can apply so much of that to Bible study as well. It's a wonderful blessing. And what you said about grammar, Mike, can be said about history too. Maybe history is de-emphasized a little bit in a, in a lot of schools now, but learning history can certainly enrich our Bible study as well. Uh, so can learning about different cultures in social studies. And of course, literature classes can be a big help if you learn about different genres and how narrative works and learn about figures of speech because you find those same things in the Bible as well. So these are all fairly obvious ways school can make you a better Bible reader. But maybe there are other subtle, su more subtle ways too. Uh, the truth is almost anything you learn that is true can help you study the Bible better because the more you know, the more you can see, right? So say in biology or health class, you learn the difference between treating the root cause of a disease versus treating the symptoms. Well, you've just learned a new category and you've learned labels for this new category. And now you're going to be able to see things all over the place in life that you couldn't see before. Yeah, including when you're reading your Bible. You could be reading in Mark 7 or Romans chapter 1 and you'll say, hey, here's the Lord Jesus or here's the Apostle Paul and they're distinguishing between the symptoms of sin and the root cause of sin. Yeah, and the reason you're able to spot that is because you you learn this this way of looking at things. You learn this category from, um, from your school. And, um, you know, J.P. Moreland, just to go back to his book for a second here, he, he talks about, you know, how we find reading the Bible boring sometimes. And he says, one central reason for why we find our Bibles boring is because our lack of knowledge and intellectual growth. He says, the more you know about extra biblical matters, the more you will see in the Bible. Why? Because you will see distinctions in the Bible or connections between scripture and an issue in another area of life that would not be possible without the concepts and categories placed in the mind structure by gaining the relevant knowledge in those extra biblical areas of thought. He says, thus general intellectual development can enrich life and contribute to Bible study and spiritual formation. And so, yeah, just learning um, extensively in a host of different subjects can help. Can I just mention two more sentences by Moreland? He says, a life of study can give us a constant source of new categories and beliefs that will lead to fresh new insights and stave off intellectual boredom. Many people become bored with the Bible precisely because their overall intellectual growth is stagnant. So uh, students, you guys are well poised to um, really take off in your love for the Bible because as you encounter so many exciting things in your studies, um, it's going to give you more and more tools with which to see things that are there in God's Word. All right. Third way we can love God with our minds at school is to think deeply in order to help others believe. Jesus is teaching us to love God with our minds in the temple. And if you get a chance, you should read Mark chapter 12. But in this chapter, the religious leaders are trying over and over to trip him up with really hard intellectual questions. And they've baited him with some really explosive cultural issues. And time and time again, the Lord Jesus responds in an amazingly wise, profound, insightful way. And if you meditate on this, you'll see, you'll just be amazed at how deep the Lord's thinking is. 
And this means that Jesus isn't just commanding a life of the mind here, but he's also modeling it. And in all of it, he's helping other people to believe. He's giving the opponents an opportunity to find out that they're wrong and repent and believe in him. But he's also helping all the bystanders, the people who want to believe in him and are attracted to his teaching, but but they hear these big heavyweight intellectuals weighing in with their questions. And so Jesus is able to help them. He's able to help them with their faith because of his deep thinking about these issues. And you too, listeners, this can be your experience in some small way. You can learn things at school that will help you to help others with their faith. You'll learn how to research and gather evidence, how to sift through that evidence and construct an argument and how to write it down. Yeah, or at least how to use chat GPT. Hmm. No, just joking. Hopefully you're not going to rely on that too much. But we, we know that also you know, students are going to be exposed to wrong ways of thinking and harmful ideologies at school. But, you know, just speaking as a, as a parent who, along with my wife, we have chosen to homeschool our children, there is value even in being aware and somewhat exposed at least to some of these errors so that you'll be better positioned to help others navigate them as Christians. And hey, Mike, learning a language at school would be another way that we can see this principle at work of things we learn at school having a being a help to others and for the glory of God or the work of the gospel. If you learn French or Spanish or Mandarin, that means you'll be able to share the good news of Christ with people that speak that language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and while we're talking about language learning, maybe I could put in a quick plug for learning Greek or Hebrew. Uh, if you go to college or university, there's a good chance they'll offer that as an elective. And um, homeschoolers, you definitely have the opportunity to do some of this too. But learning the biblical languages will help you study God's word and communicate it better, which, yeah, it'll strengthen your faith, but it'll strengthen the faith of other people too. So let me come to my last one here. This is the final one. I'm sure, sure there's many other ways that you can love God with your mind at school. But the fourth one I want to mention and the final one is do your studies in the name of Christ. This comes from Colossians 3 verse 17 where Paul writes, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. I think of that text often in relation to students' work as well. Paul is showing us there that we are to do everything in the name of Christ. So this means, yes, our schoolwork, uh, the science project, the reading assignment, it can be done as a reflection of your love for God just by doing it consciously in Christ's name. Yeah, and Paul tells us how we do schoolwork in Christ's name. It's by giving thanks to God the Father through him. So how about you try this each day when you sit down at your desk or in the lecture theater? Sit down and, you know, without drawing too much attention to yourself, just close your eyes briefly and say, Father, I thank you through Christ that I'm yours. I'm so grateful I get to live all my life in love for you. Help me to learn for your glory today. Amen. I love the visual image Rob Plummer gives. He says, you know, we can picture the risen Christ with his palms up, his arms stretched out towards us. And in the Lord's hand, he holds a list. And on that list are the various roles that that you are to fulfill for him. And one of those roles is for you to be a student. And each day, Jesus is specifically commissioning you to fulfill that role of student in faith and love. And how would it look different If um, your struggles at school, if your struggles to learn that language, to learn French, how would it look if you saw that your efforts in 
in this regard as a student were being played out in obedience and response to Jesus Christ's commission to you as a student. And so we can, he says, we can, as we work diligently as a student, we can say, I am loving my teacher. I am loving my fellow students. I'm loving the people who sacrificed to send me here. I'm loving people in the future who will hear the gospel through me. These are all uh, outcomes of you embracing your role as a student for Jesus Christ. Excellent. So to sum up, we have looked at four ways you can love God with your mind at school. You can use your mind to ignite love for God in your heart. Secondly, learn with a view to becoming a better Bible reader. You can also, thirdly, think deeply in order to help other people with their faith. And fourthly, you can do your study in Christ's name and to his glory. Uh, Mike has quoted a few times from the book by J.P. Moreland, Love Your God With All Your Mind. Great book. I read that years ago and enjoyed the vast majority of it. Uh, Another little one, so that's a bigger read. Another little one is Your Mind Matters, The Place of the Mind in the Christian Life. That's just a short read by John Stott, but also very helpful. Any other books in this area, Mike, that you think we should point out to people? Well, I mentioned the word, the one as well by John Piper uh, called Think, and I'll just see if it has a subtitle here. Yeah, Think, The Life of the Mind and the Love of God is also very helpful. Thank you for the teaching, and thank you everyone for tuning in again today. May the Lord bless you and help you in your studies to the glory of God and whatever is before you in the months ahead. Yeah, may the Lord preserve you as you go back to school or college this year. And remember, we don't need to check our Christianity at the door when we do so.